good morning, CBC. My name is Will Cody, and I am a pastor for college students for our denomination at Austin Peay State University. And once a month, I get the opportunity and privilege to preach here. And whenever that happens recently, we have been in the book of Ruth. And we've done Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 2. If you want to turn to Ruth chapter 3, it's on page 223 in the Pew Bibles that we have here. And as you're turning there, if you're not familiar with the book of Ruth, um, here is a quick recap and that brings us up to speed. So in ancient times, the days before the kings of Israel in those days, there was a man named Elimelech and he and his wife, Naomi, there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem. And so he left Bethlehem, he left Israel and he went to the land of Moab with his two sons. While he was in Moab, he died, leaving Naomi a widow. And then after his sons got married to two local Moabite women, they died as well. And after all this, Naomi, a widow herself, she hears that there is food in Bethlehem, that the famine is over. And so she decides to return to Bethlehem, return to Israel. And one of her daughters-in-law, a widow herself, clings to Naomi and says, take me with you. I'm going with you. I'm never going to leave you. And Ruth, uh, Naomi kind of gives up trying to make her stay. And so they both make their way back to Bethlehem. Last time in chapter two, we saw how Ruth went out to do what poor people do. Naomi and Ruth have been living in Bethlehem. We're not sure what their living conditions were like. Probably not great. So Ruth goes out to glean in the fields and she gleans um, from, the, from the barley and the wheat harvest and while she's out there, there's this worthy landowner, his name's Boaz, and he takes notice of her and he gives her all these special rights to glean in the fields. So Ruth continues working in Boaz's fields. About seven weeks, she probably worked in the fields, bringing home food for Naomi. And then the harvest is over, that's the end. And this is where our text picks up today, in chapter three. So let's read chapter three and let's pray that God would bless his word. Ruth chapter three, the harvest is over. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young, men you, young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, the man startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, 
Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, he will redeem you. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, as we turn to this <coughs> ancient, uh, strange narrative, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to the beauty that is here, the beauty of what uh, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz are doing, and the beauty of what Jesus has done and does for us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when I was in seminary in St. Louis, I worked for a while as a valet at this kind of weird residential condo complex. And there was this one Saturday I was working there and there was kind of this big new, this happens in cities sometimes or states, you know, the big, oh, the Powerball lottery is up to like so much. It was like a $500 million um, just that this one week. And it was something everybody was talking about. So I decided on my break, maybe it'd be a fun thing if I ran to a gas station and bought a ticket for me and each of my coworkers um, that we could have, you know, just to pass the time during our shift until the lottery numbers got read out at 9 p.m. So I went and I bought my first lottery ticket ever and handed them out to all my coworkers. <coughs> and while we were waiting to know what the winning lumber, the num numbers would be, I was like parking cars, I was helping people with their groceries, I was taking packages up to people's rooms. And I kept thinking, as I was doing all these, I kept thinking about what it would be like if I were to win the lottery. How would I use the money? How would, I, how would it make my life easier? All these kind of silly things that I was thinking about and fantasizing about. But then I started thinking about other ways that winning the lottery would change my life. How would it like, affect my relationships? How would it change all my friendships? And the more I thought about it, the more I became worried and worried and worried. What have I signed up with what have I signed up for getting this lottery ticket? Will my friends, are they gonna still love me for who I am? How am I gonna know if new people I meet or old friends actually love and care about me or if they're really after my millions of dollars? <laughs> Will I be able to trust that people actually like me for who I am for the rest of my life? And the more I thought about it, it was kind of weird. The more convinced I was that I was not only going to win the Powerball lottery that night, but that it was going to ruin my life. <laughs> Because I'm going to have to go find other millionaire friends, right? And they're going to know I'm lottery rich. I'm not like old money rich. I didn't make this money myself. So they're going to reject me. I'm going to be rejected from the millionaire club. I'm be stuck with these friends, and I can't tell if they really like me for who I am. It's going to be terrible. Something broke in my brain that night. I guess that's what money does to you. Because at the end, I was getting really stressed out that I was going to win the lottery, and it's going to cost me my life. And I was like, why did I sign up for this? Um, it was like literally, I was very stressed out. <laughs> 
But luckily, when they called out the numbers, I dodged a bullet. I didn't win the lottery. <laughs> I didn't even come close. None of my coworkers did, obviously. And I felt pretty bad for that poor lady that actually did win the lottery that day. I, who knows what happened to her? Lost all of her friends. And I've never played the lottery since. It was my one and only time of ever playing the lottery. So I was so afraid that my decision to buy those lotto tickets had signed me up, had committed me to a ruined life. Well, the people in our account today, they are signing up for, they're committing themselves to a whole new life as well. But they aren't signing up for Powerball tickets. Instead, they are committing to live for others. And it changes, radically changes their lives throughout the book of Ruth in these beautiful, beautiful ways. The big idea of our text today is that the Lord is your refuge. And if the Lord is your refuge, he's taking care of you, then you should live for others. Think about, you should live for others. If the Lord is your refuge, then you should live for others. Our three points today are going to be kind of the three main people in this text. Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, who are loved and cared for by the Lord, who have found refuge in him. And because they experience his love and care, his protection, his faithfulness, they therefore extend that care and protection and faithfulness to the others that God has put in their lives. Let's look at each of these people in turn. And we're gonna start with Naomi, and then we'll do Ruth, and then we'll look at Boaz. What is going on with Naomi in the book of Ruth, and particularly in this text? Look with me at verses one through four. I'm gonna read verses one through four again. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well for you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? She worked with him. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, tells him to do these things. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. It's gonna be dark. And then go and uncover his feet and lie down next to him or at his feet and he will tell you what to do. So our, our text starts with this plan. It almost feels like a scheme by this woman, Naomi, where Ruth is to basically go and meet Boaz. And what all this is, is she is offering marriage to this man, Boaz. Basically, you notice with Naomi, she's been this like passive agent this whole time in the book of Ruth. It's no wonder that, you know, all the stuff that's happened to her, it's, it's like she's bed stricken with grief and depression over her husband dying, her two sons dying, being destitute. She believed for a while, we read about this before, that the Lord had absolutely forsaken her, even gone out against her. But at the end of chapter two, she has seen how the Lord has sovereignly brought Ruth to glean into, in Boaz's field. And Boaz's kindness lavished onto Ruth extends all the way to Naomi. And Naomi sees this not just as Ruth and Boaz loving her, but as God loving her and being steadfast, with, being steadfastly faithful to her. She confesses at the end of chapter two, the text right before this, that the Lord has not forsaken me. He's not forsaken the living, living and the dead. He is still faithful. And what happens for Naomi between chapter two and our text today, chapter three, is that something changes in her. 
she realizes the Lord's faithfulness to her. And when she realizes that the Lord is taking care of her, that the Lord is steadfast and faithful to her, she stops worrying about herself. She stops worrying about her life. And she begins to use what little power and agency she had as a woman in this culture. She starts using this to help someone else. She turns outward to other people. She turns to Ruth and she says, I am going to seek rest for you. You are now my priority, Ruth, loving you. And what this means, finding rest, is that Naomi wants to help Ruth find a husband. Now, this may sound so, um, so old-fashioned. Well, it is old-fashioned. This is a very traditional culture. In this traditional culture, life and society was centered around men <laughs> and protection, security, uh, power. All these things came as women were connected to men, connected to fathers, connected to husbands, and later connected to sons. And the most obvious man in these women's lives, in Naomi's eyes, for Ruth, the most obvious man is Boaz. This is what she's setting up for Ruth. Now, I want to take a moment before we go farther. Take a moment and point out some things that Naomi is not doing. Okay? Because then we're going to focus on what she is doing. Because these directions that she gives can almost seem a little scandalous, the things she's telling Ruth to do. (laughs) Uh, First, let me tell what she's not doing. First, there um, are implications, people say, that Naomi is sending Ruth to Boaz to do something immoral like seduce him. She tells her to dress. She tells her to clean up. Tells her to put on perfume. Tells her to go alone. She tells her to uncover his legs. She tells her to lay down next to him. All these things can, can be kind of suggestive. But from everything we've known about Boaz, Everything we know about Ruth, everything we know about Naomi, that just does not fit the story. And even if Naomi was sending Ruth to seduce Boaz, that's not going to find rest for Naomi. That's only going to complicate her life and make it even worse. That would have made everything. That's not rest. <laughs> what are they trying to like uh, compel him into marrying Ruth? That's not, that doesn't fit in the story. She dresses up because she's offering marriage. And if you're gonna ask someone to marry you, you're gonna wanna look good, you're gonna wanna smell good, probably, not smell bad. And so she, she dresses up, she puts on perfume, and she goes alone because there's, usually what would happen in the situation is a father or a brother would instigate and negotiate marriage, right? But she doesn't have a brother, she doesn't have a father. So the only option is for her to go herself. It would be weird if Naomi went. It'd be like, it looked like Naomi, would, if maybe the only other person, it's like she's trying to finagle some kind of deal out of this for her. It's the best thing for her to go by herself. And why does she go at night? Because where else can Boaz and Ruth talk one-on-one? It would be a huge embarrassment. You know, all the social structures that happen between rich and poor, between men and women in traditional societies. It would be a huge embarrassment if Ruth was to walk up to Boaz on on the street or whilst he's working and pop this question to him. So the plan is let's wait until everybody is asleep. Let's wake him up the quietest way possible instead of nudging him. He's like, oh, what's going on? And then, you know, everybody wakes up. Who's that? It's Ruth. 
Instead, uncover his legs and let him wake up naturally, and then he'll turn and, and he'll see you there. It's like kind of genius. One more thing. Uh, because of how the book of Ruth ends, which we will get to next time in chapter four, it's easy to assume that Naomi is setting up all of this for her own benefit, or at least the benefit of both her and Ruth, and that Ruth's potential marriage to Boaz, maybe there'll be a future son. That's not on Naomi's radar at all. Remember, up until this point, Ruth has barren. Children are not even an option, really, in Naomi's mind. This is not for her benefit at all. Here's what's happening. In the, here's what is happening in this text. Naomi is sending Ruth to Boaz because he is a good single man that is relate, there's a relative, which was uh, very marriageable, most marriageable in this culture, and treats everyone he knows, everyone he meets with hesed, with steadfast love. Ruth has seen and heard how he treats all the other young women. He doesn't treat them badly. And he's surely, she surely reported this to Naomi. He treats them well, even the ones with no power. Of all the men, this guy is the best prospect for Ruth. And Naomi, here's what Naomi's doing. She is sending Ruth away from herself. She's sending Ruth away from her dead family for a fresh start with a new husband and a new family. And I think this is remarkable because up to this point, Who has been taking care of Naomi? Who has been literally the breadwinner for Naomi? Who has probably, I'm imagining, even kept Naomi in all of her despondency, in her life about to be snuffed out? Who has kept Naomi from maybe even taking her own life? This daughter-in-law who will not stop clinging to her. Naomi, though, through the love of Ruth and Boaz to her, God's love through Ruth and Boaz to her, has begun to realize that the Lord is her refuge. He has not forsaken her. And somehow, in all this calamity that is her life, the Lord is faithful to her, and she is okay. And finally, she can start looking to the needs of others around her, and actually loving Ruth, and actually setting her up to thrive in Bethlehem. And all of this is going to cost Naomi. It's time for Ruth to leave. This is sacrificial love that she is showing toward Ruth. The only way she can sacrificially love Ruth this way is by knowing that the Lord is her refuge, that he will take care of her needs. You know, this is one this is a common theme in the Bible. It's very, it's a very, one of Jesus' big main points in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six. When Jesus tells his disciples that their heavenly father knows that they need food and drink and clothes and all of these necessities of life, these are the necessities. He says this, he says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentile, the unbelievers, they seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, your father in heaven knows that you need these things. He's not unaware, he knows. So don't seek them first. Seek first 
the kingdom of God. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Use your power that God gives you to take care of the people that God puts in your life. Those are the things you need to actually worry about. Not the food, not the clothing, not the water. All these things, these things you need, they will be given to you. That's what Jesus says here. It will be given to you. He just wants us to trust him and do his will. Knowing that God is your refuge is the only way you can actually love other people. You can't sacrifice your time or your energy or your money if those things are your refuge. You can't give those up if those things are your security and your peace. If you find yourself in a, with a lack of love toward others, like myself, a lack of love toward others, a deep panic for self-preservation, it's because we don't realize no matter what happens, the Lord is actually your faithful refuge. You are taken care of. So you can take care of other people. If Naomi thought that God wasn't steadfastly faithful to her, she would cling to Ruth as her savior and her refuge. But now she's able to love Ruth and see what's best for Ruth and care for Ruth. Naomi is responding to God's care for her by caring for others. That's what's going on with Naomi in our text. And it's beautiful. It gets even more beautiful, though, as we turn to Ruth. Look with me at verses six through seven. Ruth takes this caring for others to a whole new level. Let's read this next section. Let's eavesdrop. It's gonna feel like we shouldn't be there. Let's go to the threshing floor. (laughs) Verses six through seven. So Ruth follows Naomi's plan. She goes to the threshing floor. The men there would have been taking all the harvests for the season, all the barley, all the wheat, and doing this tough manual labor. They have to, th- I don't know what to get into it, but they throw it in the air and they have to rub it and all the kernel, the kernel, the chaff and all the stuff comes off the kernels. And that's their harvest for the year. And this is like the end of the year. This is the best time of year because all the hard work, you see it right there in the, in the pile of grain. All my hard work, there it is, I did it. And you're set for food for the rest of the winter. It's a good time to be alive. It's going to be the high point of the year for Boaz. So he eats and he drinks. He does his work with his men. He eats, he drinks, his heart is merry, and he goes to sleep. Nice, deep, peaceful sleep, I'm imagining. But then a figure appears from the bushes and lightly steps to him, hovers over him, pulls the blanket up, off of his legs and then lays down where she was and everything is quiet and still. And finally, at midnight, it happens. It's dark. Maybe the embers of the fire have gone all the way down. You can see maybe some some legs over there, a row of legs of the other workers that are sleeping. Maybe someone snoring. Maybe some other bodily noises are peppering the air. And everything's still, but suddenly Boaz starts to kick his legs a little bit, trying to get his blanket back on, but it doesn't work. So he hoists up on his side, turns over to grab the blanket and see what's going on. And then, who are you? (laughs) And the rest of this conversation would have gone by in whispers. She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. 
Now, there's a lot going on here. Guys, bear with me for a minute. There's a good payoff at the end. Notice, first of all, that Ruth has deviated from the plan. Naomi told Ruth to wait until he wakes up, and then Boaz is going to tell her what to do, meaning he's going to understand this request. He's either going to accept it or hopefully gratefully, gracefully reject it. But she instead tells him what to do. She tells him, spread your wings over me. And the word for wings there is, it could also be the word for blanket. And so she's telling him basically, take me in, marry me. This is exactly what Naomi was wanting to happen anyway. But then she does something else. She does something that Naomi never imagined. She says, spread your wings over me for you are a redeemer. She calls him in the Hebrew, a goel. And when she uses this word, she's invoking this rule, this law that God had set up in Israel to help protect people who had become poor and destitute. The Lord has set it up in Israel that if you were to get so poor that you have to sell your land, you could have a relative step, a relative was supposed to step up and buy the land for you or buy the land from whoever you sold it to or buy it from you. The, the goal here was that their relative would come in at costly expense. They would take care of you in your distress so that your family could keep this land. And what, Naomi, uh, what Ruth is saying is, Boaz, you, you are a relative and can be a redeemer for Naomi's dead family, for Naomi and her dead family. Join me in helping Naomi's family. Now, it's true that Boaz is related to Naomi, but at the same time, he has, this, in this context, he has no obligation, there's no expectation that he is the one that's supposed to step up here. There's actually, we'll talk about it later, there's a closer relative, and if anything, it's his job. And for whatever reason, he's not stepping up. So he has no obligation, like Boaz can just say no, and she can't be mad, nobody can be mad. But even if he were to step up and take the redeemer role, <clears throat> there's a big problem with this plan. So bear with me. We're going to get into some really deep law, law legislature stuff. The land in Israel <clears throat> was owned in perpetuity. And what this means is that if your family has land, imagine your family has some land. That means that God has given you this land in Israel. And unless there's some nationwide apostasy and God rips you off the land, which ends up happening centuries later, um, unless that, for our purposes, this is your land forever. This is your land forever, your family's land. That land is part of the great covenant that God made with Israel. And by extension with you and your children and your family, this is your share of this land. This is an inheritance. This is your inheritance in the promised land. This is your share in the promises of God, this land. It is, this is the palpable, touchable, arable Fruitful, You can roll around on it if you want. Sign of God's commitment to Israel and your family. And if you become poor, this is your land. If you become poor for some reason and you have to sell it, and I'm doing it in air quotes because you're not really selling it. That's not how the law works. You're actually letting somebody borrow it. They're paying you to let you, they're paying you, me, to, so that they can farm it and borrow it and kind of rent it. But at the end of the day, you're gonna get, your family gets that land back. 100% guaranteed you're getting that land back because every 50 years, there was this uh, year of Jubilee. 
And every 50 years, all land ownership reverted to the original family. So if you become poor or you sell it to somebody, sell your land, your family's 100% for sure gonna get this land back. Maybe not you, it might be, you might die and it might be your son, but it's coming back to your family. This land is for your family forever. Now, here's the problem. Thank you for staying with me so far. Here's the problem. Even if Boaz steps up as a redeemer and buys this land, this does not help Naomi or Ruth at all, or Naomi's family at all. And this is probably why the closer redeemer never stepped up, because there was no point. There's no point in this at all. Why? Because even if the land gets reverted to Naomi's family, or if it stays in her family, there are no people to live on it anymore. There's, all the males are dead in her family. And Naomi and Ruth, they're gonna die. And there are no children. And Naomi and Ruth, they're the last before this family is annihilated, before they are completely extinguished. This, their land would be a land, doesn't matter because their family's over, right? This is a land that's gonna have no people on it, nobody with it, nobody to inherit it, no one attached to it, no owner, no one there for God to be faithful to. I don't even know what would happen. Try to figure out legally what would happen in this case of this land. Now imagine that this was the fate of your family. Imagine this is the fate of your family, going out, extinguished, like a candle to be forgotten. It's almost horrifying, this dark, dismal tragedy that is unfolding for Naomi and her family. But Ruth has already thought of this because here is Ruth's plan. There's another law in Israel. It's called the Leveret Law. And other ancient cultures have this too. Uh, Leveret literally means husband's brother. Okay, so this was a law where if a husband died husband or wife were married, husband dies before having children, a brother can step up and marry the wife and they can have children. And the firstborn from their marriage is going to be uh, the inheritor of that husband that died so that that husband's name does not die out and his inheritance does not die out. There's more to it, but that's all we need to know about the leveret marriage at this point, okay? So in this request, this demand of Ruth to Boaz, she said, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Here's what she's saying to Boaz. She's saying, Boaz, join me in saving this family from extinction. Be the redeemer for this family, for my mother-in-law, Naomi, for her dead husband, Elimelech, for my dead husband, Malon, Buy their land, Boaz, your redeemer, and marry me. Spread your wings over me. Join yourself to this dead family. And let's do this leveret marriage. It doesn't really work because you're not really the brother, but let's do this leveret marriage thing. And as the Lord wills, I will, buy, I will bear a son in my dead family's name to populate the land. You buy the land, I will provide the baby. <laughs> Um, she has no obligation to do this. She's, uh, no one expects this, um, this dedication to the, to the dead here and to Naomi. But um, 
on the threshing floor, Ruth told Boaz, uh, join me in this rescue plan so that I can save this family from extinction. If Boaz buys the land and they produce children on it in this land, then Elimelech and Naomi's family continues in Israel. And what Ruth is doing here is so beautiful and it's incredible. Um, Naomi sent Ruth out uh, uh, to find rest with a new husband and a new family. And Ruth says, no, I'm staying with you, uh, Naomi. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people are my people. And where you die, I'm gonna be buried there. And uh, Boaz, I prepared myself because I was crying all yesterday with this text. Tell <laughs> me, he's like, what are you crying? Are you okay? I'm like, so beautiful as she does. And Boaz, as we turn to him, Boaz is amazed. Uh, let's look at his response. He tells her in verse 10, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Now I get that verse now. <laughs> I didn't know why he said that. He's just in awe of what she is doing and he prays this blessing over her. Then he says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. So the latest kindness is what she's doing right now. The first kindness is when she first committed to Naomi. And I always thought he was saying, you could have gone after some young gun, but you chose this old geezer, me, right? But that's not what he's saying. Though he does seem to be older than her. What he's saying is you could have gone after other younger men in this town or gone back to Moab and started a fresh new life. But because of your love for Naomi, you came to me, who because I am a relative, I can actually help you. I can, be, I can help you with redemption and the leveret thing. And no, nobody else can, maybe this other redeemer, but save your family. So he's in awe, not of Ruth's love for him, but of Ruth's love for Naomi and this family and Elimelech and Malon. <clears throat> and for the sake of time, I'm just gonna summarize the rest of this text very succinctly, I hope. But Boaz is on board with this plan. He's, he's like, uh, he's so drawn in by this person, Ruth. He just, um, Ruth is so amazing. Oh, we'll get to it in a second, but he decided, but he, has, he needs to go talk to this other guy that's like closer relative to Naomi first and figure it out. And that's what the next chapter is about. But let's save the threshing floor for a minute. <clears throat> What's happening here is Ruth is inviting Boaz to a life of radical, other-centered love. Ruth is saying to Boaz, I live my life for others, like Naomi. Will you join me and join your life with mine, Boaz, as we serve other people, like Naomi? Ruth is this amazing amalgamation of humility and service mixed with strength and courage. She's the hero, this is why the book's named after her, I realize that now. <laughs> she's, like, she's like this otherworldly being sent to live among mortals in this little town called Bethlehem. She is a beautiful, amazing picture, this amazing preview of the one who would be born three centuries, uh, several centuries later. One of the ways that you could summarize the good news of Jesus is that Jesus came to the earth to save you and me from serving ourselves. Serving yourself before others is not what you were made for, um, it leads to sin, it leads to suffering, it leads to you causing suffering in others, you neglecting others, 
Um, it ends in, and it ends in desolation and death. You know, Malon, um, Elimelech, the dad, he left Israel. He's like, it's almost like he forsook him and his wife. I don't know. It seems like he just forsook the land. For, other people stayed in Bethlehem, but they left. And it ended up in his desolation and death, save for Ruth coming to save the day. And the way that Jesus frees us from serving ourselves is by serving us first, by serving you first. Naomi did not deserve this. Naomi did not deserve this. You don't deserve his salvation either. You don't deserve God coming to earth to live on this earth and to take the punishment for your sins. You don't deserve that. He had no obligation to do that, and he did it anyway. I mean, he frees us from this love for self. He saves us by dying and taking the punishment for our self-love. He makes us new people with new desires to love him and our neighbor. He utilizes his strength and his courage and his humility and his service. He utilizes that for us. And he does this, and he does this all, right? Not so we can just feel happy and feel good and feel safe and feel happy and feel protected. He doesn't do it for that purpose. He does it so that you will feel all these things and know all these things and join him in serving others that don't deserve it like Ruth did. The end of the Christian life is, is not that good feeling that you feel after doing a quiet time. Um, it's not reading the Bible and praying is not the end of the Christian life. This is not what you were saved for. The end of the Christian life is sacrificing your time, your energy, your comfort, your money, your resources for others. You know, Ruth and Boaz, their marriage was fundamentally other-centered. They got together for the sake of other people. This is what marriages are for. It's about, marriage is about a lot of things. But your marriage or your desire to be married is to love other people, is to care for other people. That's what marriage and family is for. It's for other people. He takes care of you. He takes care of your food. Um, he takes care of your drink. He takes care of your clothes, the house you have the marriage you have, these things are not for you. They're for others. They're to be used to serve others. He is a refuge for you so that you will serve others. He serves you so you can serve others. This week, CBC, um, where is a place that you can use your money or your time or your marriage or your energy or your family to serve him? to serve him by serving somebody who does not deserve it, just like you. You didn't deserve it. Uh, Naomi doesn't deserve it. Where is somebody, where is someone that you can serve with all of the resources that God has given you and the, the steadfast love that he loves you with? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful uh, story of this beautiful person who feels... Um, uh, nervous to even talk about her. Um, and we pray you would bring that same humility as we come to, to, your, to your Lord Jesus, to your son, Jesus. Father, will you help us to serve him? He's done so much for us and he continues to do so, so much for us. Would you help us open our eyes to the refuge that he is for us so we can serve and love others. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.